This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Had a chance uh, yesterday to sit down with Wharton Dean Jeff Garrett, talk to him uh, over the conferencing line to talk about uh, what we should expect in terms of our economies and our cultures moving forward uh, here in the United States and abroad. A lot of different topics that we discussed. So we'll let you listen into that conversation we held yesterday with Wharton Dean Jeff Garrett. And obviously, uh, so many of you out there are being impacted by the coronavirus. Uh, we thought it would be appropriate as well to take a look ahead, start to think about a year out, what we are going to be looking at and thinking about a year in the future. And a pleasure to have Wharton School Dean Jeff Garrett joining us right now to discuss some of those ideas. Jeff, great to talk to you. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Dan, and thanks a million for everything you're doing. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So what do you look at when you're thinking about the impacts that we're feeling now and what we're probably going to be dealing with moving forward in the future? Yeah, so I think about it really in three stages, Dan. The first one is the crisis response, which clearly we're right in the middle of now. And obviously the economic uh, consequence of that crisis response is the the lockdown, the hibernation of economies that we're looking at right now. If you push out a year to 18 months, I think the big question clearly is how steep is the global recession gonna be and how quickly can we bounce back from that? And then if I push out a little further, let's say three to five years, um, I think the big story actually is going to be deglobalization of the economy, uh, led probably by a, a further decoupling of China and the U.S. I think that is a question that a lot of people would like to know is how the relationships with China are going to develop or or change moving forward in the future, and as well how China's economy is really going to be impacted. So let's do the U.S.-China relationship first. In the very short term. It's really understandable. I think the temptations to play the blame game with respect to where the virus started, those things are understandable. But I actually don't think either the US or China wants any new crisis in 2020. Both countries have got enough domestic problems they've got to deal with. They don't need a new crisis. So the blame game will continue, but I don't think it'll escalate. If we go into 2021, the big story is going to be, can China meet its phase one uh, trade agreement? obligations. And my answer to that is no, there is no way that China will be able to buy 200 billion uh, in new goods from the US, notwithstanding what Donald Trump continues to say. But there actually will be good news, which is that the US-China trade deficit, uh, which was the really the cause of the trade war, will have come dramatically down, but not because China is buying more products from the US, but because China is selling fewer products into the US. So when you look at different sectors uh, of the economy, and let's focus on the U.S. for a second, what are the industries you think that are, are going to suffer the most from this? And I would imagine there are going to be some that are going to benefit from this in the end and be better off when they come out the other side. Well, if the, look, if the stock market is any indicator, and, and obviously the markets are forward-looking, what they're telling us right now is that tech tech is where you want to be. Um, you know, the NASDAQ has recovered, I think, almost fully. Um, beyond tech, obviously, healthcare, there are going to be dramatic dislocations in healthcare, but the upside opportunities there are enormous. Um, in terms of downside, it, it's things, it's industries which are about having people congregate together. So airlines, hotels, 
those industries, I think, are not only going to be really hit in the short term, they're going to have to think very hard and creatively about what they do in a new normal, because the new normal isn't going to be normal as we knew it, uh, you know, earlier in the spring of 2020. It almost made me think about the word infrastructure for a second. And obviously, I think there's the historical uh, view of infrastructure, roads, bridges, rail uh, are obviously three of the elements that play a big factor in that. But I think it, the term infrastructure may even have a bit of a new normal moving forward in thinking about all the things that, that maybe we need to reconsider going ahead. Yeah, no question. I think you're exactly right about that. Uh, certainly uh, including things like digital infrastructure in lots of lots of sensors. You know, I, when I go into a store today, I want to use Apple Pay because if I use Apple Pay, yeah. I don't there's no there's no hand touching. Right. That's just one yeah. example. Um, but when it comes to so physical infrastructure, the way we've always understood it, you know, I look, the U.S. needs better physical infrastructure. Um, and maybe now's a good time to borrow money at really low rates to do that. But I, but I don't think infrastructure would help us so much with employment in the very short term because there just aren't enough shovel-ready projects out there, right? I mean, it, let's imagine that an, an infrastructure stimulus uh, gets enacted sometime in the next few months. It would take you six months, 12 months, 18 months really to start the projects. They might be do worth doing on their own. They might be doable because interest rates are so low, but I'm not sure they'd meet the, the short-term sort of employment needs that we have. We're joined by Jeff Garrett, uh, Dean of the Wharton School, talking about a year ahead of what we're looking for uh, in the wake of the coronavirus. Uh, one of the areas I wanted to touch on with you is manufacturing because that is – uh, an area that's been discussed about a lot. It obviously has a, a rich historical tradition here in the United States, but obviously has, has come down uh, a level in, in recent times. How do you think something like infrastructure, or I should say manufacturing, can be impacted moving forward? Well, this is obviously something that um, Donald Trump uh, is really focused on right now. And if I can paraphrase the president, I think what he's saying is, I told you it was a dumb idea to have global supply chains in manufacturing because we're just vulnerable to external circumstances. And I was right. Look at what's happened in the, in the COVID-19 crisis. So what that will mean going forward, I think, is a shortening of manufacturing supply chains. Um, you know, maybe things would still extend outside the United States to Mexico and Canada because of the, the NAFTA 2.0 deal. But I think the notion of global supply chains in manufacturing is probably going to go away. That'll be good news for employment uh, in the U.S., manufacturing employment in the U.S., but I think it'll be bad news for efficiency because global supply chains just have been more efficient. And, you know, efficiency sounds like something economists would say, but what I'd say to all of your listeners is efficiency translates into more choice of better products at lower prices. And so there will be a cost if we onshore again manufacturing as we shorten supply chains. Since you mentioned President Trump, uh, I, I, let's take a, a look at this uh, from a larger scale in terms of how government is going to have to react to all of this and all of the changes that that we may see come from from our government here in the United States, but governments around the world. Yeah, the, look, the, there are many dimensions there, but obviously in the short term, what we see is fiscal stimulus that's already twice as big as the financial crisis 
plus activism, creative activism by the Federal Reserve, much bigger than the financial crisis. So that's the first thing to consider. The second thing to consider, though, is what happened 10 years ago was already unprecedented. So what we're looking to in the future, I think, is a Fed balance sheet that is way bigger than it's ever been before, potentially including ownership in a lot of iconic American companies, but also a public debt burden in the U.S. that's going to be well north of 100 percent of GDP. In the short term, that public debt sounds fine because interest rates are so low, but I would be worried in the longer term that that's going to crowd out future growth because interest rates, are, I think, are bound to return at some point to something more like normalcy that we knew 10 or 15 years ago. So that's going to need, uh, I would think, significant policy change moving forward then, correct? Yeah, I mean, if you think about all the stuff that was already kind of ticking time bomb in the U.S., and I think Medicare was the lead example of that, but obviously yeah. Social Security also included. So you had that demogra demographic demons that were going to increasingly haunt the U.S. as the country aged. Then you had the fiscal and monetary stimulus after the financial crisis, and now that stimulus on steroids again. You know, the size of government and the amount of debt in the economy is just going to be unprecedented. And that's going to, you know, that the debt overhang would slow down growth. But I think it will create challenges for future governments because you'd expect them to have to try to pair some of that debt back. Very difficult to do. How do you view what we will probably see it play out over the course of this year in terms of GDP? Because seemingly it seems almost every economist talks about how the second quarter of 2020 is going to see a significant decline, yet then we're going to see a rebound in Q3 and Q4. But my question to you is, is the fact with some of the social elements that may still be in play here, how much can we expect to see that bounce back occur in the second half of the year and leading into 2021? Yeah, look, you're right that the consensus forecasts say that Q2 is going to be the worst quarter on record. Uh, but everyone is expecting something like a V-shaped recovery. I think you made a really important point, however, which is V-shaped recovery depends not only on government relaxing social distancing and other restrictions, the, the so-called lockdown, but behavior change by individuals. People have to feel confident enough, safe enough to go back to their regular lives. And, and I think that that is going to be an enormous challenge. So maybe that V-shaped recovery is tilted a little bit on its side. Um, I, I, I saw... Somebody came up with yet another metaphor, the square root recovery, that we'd recover a certain amount <laughs> and then plateau. You know, there's a chance of something like that. But, but you're exactly right that, you know, this is a right now, this is a behavioral recession. We're in hibernation. The question yeah. is, when we come out of hibernation, will we be back to where we were in February 2020 or not? And, and there's reason to be skeptical about that. And, and I think then the question becomes, what are we looking at for unemployment rates? What are we looking at for small businesses? What are we looking at for things like the restaurant industry and the airline industry moving forward because of the hesitancy that may be there by the general public to go back and do some of these things? Well, look, in the short term, the, the numbers are going to be devastating, uh, unprecedentedly large, I think, in terms of the spikes in unemployment. You know, we've already seen 22 million uh, new unemployment claims in the last month. I, I saw a statistic that that's more new unemployment than in the six previous recessions combined. All right, this is extraordinary. Yeah. But I do think you're right in the longer term for industries like hotels, uh, airlines, 
Yeah, are, are they ever going to go back, come back to where they were before? The only way that could happen is if people feel sufficiently safe and comfortable to, to return to fully normal lives. You know, that might not happen, which makes me think that what a lot of industries should be doing right now is not just being reactive. Of course, we've had to be reactive to the crisis. But now now's the time to start thinking proactively about how can you come out of the crisis maybe different, but try to make that different better. I wanted to ask you about the education sector, since obviously we both, you know, working for the Wharton School and the University of Pennsylvania about how you think education is going to be impacted. And I'm, I'm thinking more so from the teaching perspective, because I, I, we mentioned in the past and we've done interviews with you that there's a new class that's being taught this semester uh, about epidemics, natural disasters and geopolitics, managing global business and financial uncertainty. And, and that was a course that sprung out of what we're all going through. So how do you think education is going to be changed moving forward? Well, so so thanks for mentioning the class. I'm, I'm so pleased and proud to be part of that. Um, two things about that class. One, it shows how relevant a place like Wharton is. Overnight, we could put on a class that could talk about the pandemic from a public health standpoint with respect to the economy, supply chains, behavioral economics. The scale and scope of the school has been a real asset, but it's really relevant today. But you know, in terms of the way things might go in the future, I don't know whether you know, but in terms of enrollment, that class is the largest class in the, in the nearly 140-year history of the Wharton School. Why? Wow. Part of it is because the subject matters in demand. But the other, the other thing is we don't have a capacity constraint because we're delivering it remotely. So I think, I, I think that's just one example of uh, what you can do in this environment to do things differently and in, in, in important senses better. So are we headed for a new normal, do you think? Yeah, I think I think new normal on lots and lots and lots of dimensions. Um, we're going to leverage technology more. Uh, crowded spaces aren't going to be as attractive as they used to be. Um, and, you know, I, I think the world of work for everybody is going to just become more remote. You know, you're, you're, you're doing a great job of producing this show from your home. Um, it might not be as much fun if you and I were doing face-to-face -face on Locust Walk at the Wharton School, but we can do this, right? And we can do this at a, yeah. at a pretty high level. And, uh, of course, I'm talking about technical production. I hope the I hope the content yes. is okay as well. But <laughs> but just in terms of in terms of delivery, right? This works, and and I don't think we're going to forget that. Jeff, a pleasure to talk to you as always. Thank you very much for your insight. Be safe, and uh, we will see you on campus at some point soon. Thank you, sir. Uh, all all the thanks are to you, Dan. Thank you very much. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.